0: Welcome to MedHeads, the weekly show that brings a biopsychosocial focus to issues of the day, along with special guests who will showcase their expertise and enthusiasm about their field of practice. Your host, Dr. Fergal
1: Armstrong. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong. And welcome to today's MedHeads. And we're very lucky today to have with us Mr. Miguel Hawa, who's a paramedic. Hello, Miguel. How are you?
0: Hey, how you going, Fergal?
1: I'm good. I'm good. Miguel, thanks for joining us. Um, I wanted to chat to you because we work together in another environment mm-hmm. and we've been speaking about your passion for mental health as it applies for you and your colleagues in the paramedicine services in Victoria. Mm. So I wanted to know, I wanted to start things off by asking you, well, first of all, what are the mental health issues that you see amongst your colleagues and also within the wider population that that, that you're Um, exposed to?
0: So yeah, so I think when it comes to mental health in regards to paramedics, especially I think with all healthcare workers, it comes to the fact that they always tend to care for so many other people around their workplace and the patients, but not really caring for themselves. So the mental health issues I probably see more likely probably like, you know, severe PTSD. I mean, I think paramedics make up 10%. Um, I'm pretty sure like every paramedic will have uh, level PTSD but 10% mm-hmm. will suffer severe ones um, but yeah I feel like the the issue is just that we don't really look after ourselves and that's something yeah. that I'm really passionate about.
1: Yeah so you know paramedics like all people in the healing industries they don't look after themselves they suffer from burnout and mm. because of the innate uh, risks of their job they are exposed to significant amounts of trauma which then can trigger off PTSD mm-hmm. so I mean, within that, within burnout, um, I think we see a lot of uh, anxiety and depression and low mm. self-esteem. And yeah, um, is that something that you identify with in terms of burnout? That's I think, probably-
0: yeah, I think when I talk to my friends about their jobs and how we uh, kind of deal with like you know different components of it, um, one thing I see is that it's uh, small triggers. So um, yeah. with them, what I find with the trauma, it's not what you see, it's what you relate to in regards to um,
1: yes. paramedics
0: or any healthcare workers. So it can be the one simple job that you go to that might look like your mum or your sister or, or a job that you relate to in the sense of like, you know, if you're a fitness person, you see someone get hit by a drink driver um, and they will go home with that. And the thing is, it's not the fact that they don't talk about it, it's but how they talk about it. That's the biggest issue I find. Uh, I think with all yeah. organisations, especially in healthcare, we do like have a good system, but it's not good enough in the overall way of dealing with things. Yeah,
1: I like what you said there. It's the small triggers, and it's how you relate to your um, to, to what you see. It's not actually what's yeah. going on; it's how it impacts mm-hmm. you. But that yeah. small triggers thing really, really hits home. To me, the idea that that you know someone can be suffering under a lot of stress. And be holding it together, and mm. you know, by all to all intents and purposes, getting on with the job, and then something really, really tiny happens, and mm. others might say he just lost it, she just lost it. Yeah. There's all. I mean, I the volcano erupting mm. does not erupt without a huge amount of magma of stress beneath the surface that's creating that pressure. Yeah, totally agree. So so the trauma that you've seen, can you talk us through a little bit about what that could be?
0: Yeah. um, I remember when I was actually a student, my first job ever was a cardiac arrest. And this cardiac arrest was a 24-year-old girl who came home from a night out and the parents uh, woke up with her completely blown in bed. Uh, We went to the job, you know, this is my first job ever. And uh, Mm. the paramedic is like, oh, have you done CPR before? And I'm like, no, never have. Went on the chest of that person and did a terrible job at the start, but then actually got into the groove of it. But essentially what made this job really traumatic to me was the fact that she had a big family. And even though you're very narrow-minded in your treatment, and so I'm looking at the patient, there were moments when I had a brief moment I was just like, you know, not doing CPR and looking around my surroundings I see this big family uh-huh. And the dad's right in front of me And, you know, telling me like, Can you bring her back to life And we do CPR for at least an hour An hour and a half, I believe Then we made a decision not to do it anymore um, And yeah, and the dad was, was hysterical And mm. I rem- this is uh, a job that I will always remember Not for the fact that it was a CPR Because I've done a fair bit of it But it's the fact that this family in front of me represented my family. And I went home that day, I didn't tell anyone. I didn't talk to my brother, didn't talk to my sisters. I actually went to a coworker of mine, a uh, a teacher, and asked him about it. He didn't really even debrief me about it. And then I actually realized I never really dealt with it until I finished my degree and actually saw one um, image on a show called Scrubs. And this guy's doing CPR. And for some reason, I just, I, I freaked out. I had to leave the room. And and my, my, my partner at the time was like, why are you leaving the room? And I'm like, I, I just sort of see behind. It's incorrect and I can't do it. And like, you know, it's triggered me. And I think for like for me, like those, there's this one experience of a handful, but mm. that one experience in that room with my partner and I had to leave, is, mm. it's not that it's sad that I had to leave. It's the fact that that's what I... Going to be accustomed to for the rest of my life, yeah. and ever since that day, I made a goal to ensure that that will never happen to me, mm-hmm. and that is something that I've always wanted to do. and Look, I'm not going to lie that it. it's not going to happen, but what I'm doing and putting in place now are uh, job like uh, you know, techniques, um, dissociation skills, uh, meditation to not only let me deal with it, but probably prevent. PTSD in the long run and probably not make it as severe as it will be in the future.
1: So that's a fascinating story. And it also highlights two things. So we've already spoken, you've, you've mentioned the phrase small trigger. So it's mm. the small trigger that gets you significantly, mm. you know, a significant time down the line from the actual event. Mm. You, you get exposed to a very small trigger that sets you off. Yeah, and in your case, it was actually watching CPR. Um, yeah, um, the 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 second issue that, that I'm that I want to highlight from your story is the fact that you went to a senior coworker who previously mm. had been your mentor and your trainer, mm. and you confronted him with how you were feeling. And it, from what you're saying, it wasn't a very positive therapeutic. Um, <laughs> It wasn't a very therapeutic experience. yeah what, 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 t- tell us more about what happened and how, and yeah.
0: how yeah 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 I smart. remember when I was in, uh, in my uh, study period with, uh, with my teacher at the time my mentor and I love him he's great he is a amazing paramedic uh, very similar to my personality uh, and I remember when I approached him, I thought I would be welcome with work up arms or, yeah, tell me about the job and we dissect it. And, and in reality, he just told me, like, how are you feeling? I'm like, yeah, I'm feeling okay, but I don't know. And he's like, oh, look, you'll get used to it. And I feel like these conversations, even though there may not be as many in the job, um, they're probably a little bit more um, in depth now and everyone's a bit more aware of the mental health in regards to paramedics and all healthcare workers. But I feel like that conversation is probably more than you think it will be with other people Mm -hmm. as well. And yeah, I I think that my issue in which I found it was that I think because our job is to see trauma, doesn't mean it's okay. Yeah, You know what I mean? And that's that's what I realized. I feel like a lot of people say, it's okay that I see this because it's my job.
1: So he just said, how do you feel about it? You'll get over it, you'll get used to it.
0: Yeah, pretty much. And it's true, but it doesn't mean it's okay
1: what would you have preferred him to have said or done given your hindsight now that you've achieved yeah i
0: think when if i was in his position firstly i'll be saying like what did you feel during that situation and how did you feel afterwards there would be the two biggest questions i would ask and i'm gonna i'll probably would ask him more importantly like you know what are you what are you feeling in regards to the trauma of this job and to recognize that it wasn't okay for you to experience it. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest one for me was saying, like, yeah. it's not okay to experience something like that. Cause to yeah. me, even though I'm okay with it now, cause I have dealt with it. But yeah. for me, if you say to someone, you know, it's okay to, you know, for what you saw, then you become normalized to what you're seeing. And then yeah. for you, you don't, you don't understand the difference between what is good and what is bad trauma. Right.
1: Okay, so you said that you've dealt with it now. So Mm. how have you dealt with it?
0: (laughs) Yeah, look, it's uh, definitely a lot of guidance, uh, counseling, but uh, it's it's just simple work. It's just recognizing that, you know, and I think you and I have talked about this before, and this is probably another time for another story, but like death in itself is a natural part of life. And the fact that like even my job is to save lives, I've got to accept that death is going to be the biggest component of it. And I think uh, what helped me the most was uh, rationalizing that death is okay. It's it's fine that death happens. Um, you can't save everyone in life. Uh, and the whole saying, you know, everyone's got a time and place to go. And that's how I kind of like rationalized my thinking about it and realized right. that we did the best. I did the best I could at the time. And unfortunately, it wasn't uh, enough to bring them back to life. But that's something that I'm okay with.
1: So do you find that your spirituality helps you come to terms with death?
0: yeah Uh, yeah definitely definitely does um yeah i think i think everyone's biggest fear in life most people I to think is death we Mm. i think it's some we fear it because we don't understand it you know Mm. so uh i think understanding something you uh, don't understand uh, makes you not fearful to it so I've done a lot of research on it. I've read a lot of books um, and I even wrote some things about it, uh, which I've shown you and mm-hmm. I feel life and death come together and, yeah. and they're the life cycle of everything, you know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, death and birth. Yeah. And I think my spirituality, my, probably my yogic practices has helped me with that. Yeah. And that's something I like to bring in paramedics and cause I feel like, okay. even though it's not religious. I don't, I don't have that religious connotation to it. But I feel like spirituality lets people understand that you know life is just uh, a fluent flow. It's just a flowing river, and that's what it is mm-hmm. essentially. All right.
1: So, before we get on to yoga practices, I just want to I just want to <laughs> yeah. go through um, my understanding of how to, how to manage the, those first twenty four to forty eight hours mm. after. Um, after a tr- exposure to a trauma. Yeah, now, so... So, you know, this, know. This, you, you went to speak to someone, right? Now, mm. what we know now is actually the concept of psychological debriefing actually does more harm than good mm-hmm. in the early stages after trauma exposure. Mm. The best thing that you can do is self-care for your physical needs Mm -hmm. so you get enough sleep eat properly don't drink alcohol Mm -hmm. don't take drugs don't smoke etc etc and then you've got to sit and just talk it out with your nearest and dearest your comrades Mm -hmm. and you did not get that opportunity you didn't get an invitation he didn't say oh listen mate That was awful. We need to talk about this. Mm. Come on down to the pub. Let's have a beer or two. Yeah. Yeah. You got the equivalent of a punch in the shoulder. You'll be all right on the night, mate. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty much. We know know now that that in terms of preventing the onset of significant PTSD symptoms, that the initial 48 hours of just hanging around with your comrades, talking it out, is actually Mm. the best thing you can do. Drugs don't work. Benzo, benzodiazepines, Valium—they don't no. work. Alcohol no. doesn't work. Debriefing doesn't work. No. And never more so was that um, that message brought home to me when I found out that some of my colleagues in the, um, the in the UK military—they uh, were working mm-hmm. in the medical corps—they actually told me that. Uh, The way that they dealt with troops coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan had changed. And previously, you know, they they would all go into some form of psychological debrief, Mm -hmm. but that was all, that's all stopped. And what they do now is Mm -hmm. they basically take them off their their duty. They bring them over Mm -hmm. to Cyprus and the the British military maintains a a base Mm -hmm. in Cyprus and they say, right, just stay there for a week and have a party, Mm -hmm. right? And that's what they do. They get to mm. depressurize, they have a party, they, yeah. you know, they, they just sit by the pool and they chat and they, mm. they chew over the fat. And mm. then after that week, then they go back home to their military barracks in the UK and that's when they disperse mm. back to their families. And that week, at a, Greek, uh, at a Cypriot swimming pool, drinking and having fun, enjoying, mm. chewing the fat, telling war stories, is the best way of actually reducing the incidence of mm. um, you know significant PTSD problems. Now, once once time has evolved and then you do get PTSD sitting in then that's the time for all of the psychology yeah. and the and, and sometimes there's a role for medication. But mm. in the immediate phase, my understanding is that it is absolutely vital to be to, to have the opportunity of just chilling out with your comrades mm. camaraderie is the most important part of managing trauma yeah. exposure mm. so not a punch in the shoulder you'll be all right in the night mate but mm. sitting down and saying tell me tell me all about it what happened yeah. mm. you did not yeah. get that opportunity
0: no and i think what you said was uh pretty much uh nail in the coffin it was really good that you said like you know how um they're all sharing stories about something that they've all shared yeah. and i think with uh paramedics and most healthcare workers we all share probably a commonality of um trauma right and so for yeah. me I, I didn't need uh, someone to tell me i'm okay i just need someone to say hey i understand what you're going through And that's what I probably needed more likely. So I didn't need someone to tell me about my job. I didn't tell me about the job itself. I just need someone to say, hey, look, I know what you went through was crap. I went through that myself. And um, I went to my brother about it because he's a psychologist and we talked about it really intensely. And he's probably the main reason why I'm so passionate about this area. Um, I think like debriefing the job is not so much the best way of doing things because the thing is that when you debrief it, you kind of dissect your own skills in that, in that area. And then when you start doing it, you start doubting yourself as well. And that's something that's really bad after a joke. Cause then you're going to put the blame on yourself and you say like, what could I have done better? What could I have not done better? Um, I should have done this rather than this. And then you're going to start having that playing in your head. Now you and I both know how important sleep is um, for anyone in life. And I'm a great sleeper. And I mean, like paramedics themselves have like a 37, I think 30.7% fat. They're all going to have sleeping disturbances. So, and a lot of them take sleeping tablets. I think like 80% of paramedics do. So um, like, you know, for me, like if if I have a big job now, I'd essentially go home. I put my favorite TV show on. I relax my mind. I meditate a fair bit. And then I'll go to my brother, I'll go to my friends and colleagues and say, Hey, look, this is a job I had. I'm feeling a bit shit about it. You know what I mean? I feel yeah. a bit like upset. Like, yeah. can we talk about it? And then I'm hoping their response would be like, yeah, man, I understand the feeling. Let's talk.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, so,
0: that, that to me would be a better way of doing things. And that's how I would like to deal with things.
1: So then let's talk about how as a paramedic, if, if you get a colleague or a friend come to you and say, mm-hmm. I'm feeling shit, Hmm. What how do you handle that situation?
0: ah uh, yeah, I got a fair bit of it. Um what do I do with it personally? I just sit down and listen. That's all I really do, and most of the time that's all they really need. Um I feel like like giving advice to someone when they're feeling crap about things is probably the not the best way of doing things. Because I feel mm-hmm. they won't I don't believe they'll listen to you anyway. So um all I do is I try to be relatable, empathetic. That's my two ways mm. of doing things. I understand yeah. that I've been through what they've been through. Mm-hmm. Um, I completely understand how they're feeling. I mean, a friend of mine recently just told me that, like, you know, she's having a hard time sleeping and after a job she had. And I said, you know what, I've, I've had that myself. And it's a hard thing to do. And I just said, all you got to do is just realise that everyone's feeling the same thing as you. And she felt a lot more better because she felt like she was the only one who was having issues with that. Um... So all I just do is just be there. I'm present. That's all i really okay. do. Okay.
1: Now, how do, we, we've also talked a little bit about burnout because you know we're talking about you know acute stress and PTSD, but you know there's chronic yes. stress. There's chronic burnout. You know there's there's, there's this this utter deep seated dissatisfaction with the job, feeling of mm-hmm. worthlessness and, and joylessness, and feeling that you're not coping. So you know how, how do you recognize that in yourself? Yeah. So, uh,
0: yeah. Look, uh, in our workplace, in where we work at, uh, it can be quite emotionally, and we have a high tolerance for it. But it can be quite emotionally draining sometimes with the clients we deal with. Um, Look, I'm not gonna lie. During COVID, I had a massive compassionate fatigue. I was caring too much, and my issues with that was that I was caring so much, not getting anything in return, and I started hating everything. I uh, didn't, it's not that like I didn't like going to work. I just, every time someone told me a story, I just became unempathetic and I couldn't relate to them. I just didn't want to hear their story. I just zoned out. And as soon as I recognized that, the first thing I probably did was um, actually understand why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. And the way I did that was sat down with myself and said, all right, Migs, like, you're you're feeling crap about this. Like, this is not you what what is wrong and then i realized that i was just putting too much care in areas that i um i i care too much about and i think i was listening to one of your podcasts or someone was telling me that uh you shouldn't put as much effort as much as the client is and someone and that came into my head and i realized like you know what why am i putting so much effort in if the client is going to put much effort in with me so then what I've done is I've kind of switched my thing and I, I've put my energy in people now who I believe um, will take that time to deserve my time. So I'm not giving it away, like uh, throwing it away, like you know, willy nilly and stuff. So that's something that's really helped me um, a lot because I feel like if I was kept doing what I was doing, I would have burnt out eventually and just like gone away for six months and not worked. Mm-hmm. And I think every job you do, especially as your job as well, I think burnout rates are uh, more common than you think. I think like as a paramedic, like I think the expectancy for your career would be like five years. And that's sad to know, yes, five years, most paramedics won't last. And it's just because, you know, the shift work, but it's also the support network isn't as great as it should be.
1: So how do you, how do you recognize burnout in others? How do they Uh, behave? What's the change that comes over them?
0: I think I was talking to my friend about this recently and he started hating the job. I think that's when you start hating everything about the job. Like there's things that you complain about. Like I complain about it a lot, but uh, if you start hating the job, if you start like hating small things or complaining about legit, everything about a the job, then I think it's not time to leave. It's recognizing that look, look, what is, what is actually going on? here,
1: right. And I think and that's we- when, mm. and rather than leaving, what can you do about it, do you reckon?
0: Yeah, I think, look, sitting with yourself is the most important thing. And, you know, with me, I'm always a really uh, a big believer of like self healing. Um, and what I mean by that, it's like sitting down with yourself, understanding what's going on, then searching external. Um, measures. Uh, so if I feel like if I was in his position, I told him this, that to set yourself right out a list, and this is what I do with everything I do, the pros and cons of what I'm doing. And I'm trying to always bring back to why I'm doing this job. And because we all forget why we got into it in the first place. We always, you know, when you get into a job for long enough, you kind of forget everything that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what I do is I write a list and I write things that I'm grateful about the job. And that's the biggest thing that helps me out you know um and the more i write things about what i like about the job, and i realize that the things i'm complaining about actually aren't as important as they are and i think it's all about being relative you know like i always think to myself all right if i'm not doing this job what would i be able, what do i what would i be doing then every time i do that it makes me realize like no nah, paramedics is my career
1: mm. yeah So you've just said to me two key words that really I think I find very interesting. First of all is why, and the second word is gratitude. So Mm. let me talk about why first of all. So people who understand first and foremost why they do a certain thing are more likely Mm. to be successful at doing that thing. So rather than the how and the what, the why is most important. So... I mean, I'll give you an example. You know, um, the Apple, right? Apple made Mm. computers. They did not make MP3 players. Yeah. But now Apple make iPods, iPads, MP3 players, and they're the dominant force. So the question is, Uh, they don't go around saying, oh, we make MP3 players or we make... Mm. They don't do the what and the how. We make this, we make that. They, they have a view that I'm, a des- I'm an individual designer who's passionate about mm. uh, utility and form.
0: Yeah,
1: totally agree. If you feel like me, have a, have a look at this. <laughs> if you're also passionate uh, about utility yeah. and form and design, have a look at what we've got. Mm. They don't say things like, you know, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm going to make this, but then I'm going to make that. Mm. Yeah, they don't yeah. do the what. Yeah? They do the why. Another, another example yeah. of why is the, the Wright brothers. You know, um, we all know that the Wright brothers actually had designed the first aircraft, right? But mm-hmm. what you don't know is actually there was a group in uh, Harvard who were given all the funding mm. All the resources that was led by you know the great minds of the day and they were told design mm. flight right so you'd have thought with all their research with all their power with all their all their great mm. minds together they would have been the first to to design flight they didn't have a why mm. mm. Orville right. Orville and Wilbur right, they designed flight three days later the head of that other unit resigned mm. because he didn't have a why he didn't say Oh, great! Orville and Wilbur have done this, yeah. but let's improve on it because we are passionate yeah. about flight. He just said, "I bollocks yes. for that." Yes. I, I quit. Mm. You yeah? know, he didn't understand. He didn't have a why. Yes. So, I for people who understand why they do something, I think is really, mm. really important. And it, you're right; it does mm. it does sustain you through all the hard times. It does the it does. second word that you said? The second word you said was gratitude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Making a gratitude list is actually one of the fundamental processes that provides you with positive psychology and protects you Mm -hmm. against mental ill health. It provides resilience, Mm -hmm. making that gratitude list, the daily Mm -hmm. gratitude list, the weekly gratitude list. Why? Again, there's that word, why? Mm Why am I grateful? What do I do? Why am mm-hmm. I grateful for people? And when you actually have to think about all the people that you're grateful for, or grateful mm-hmm. to, rather, my list is amazingly long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I really sit down and think about, you know, who do I owe thanks to? Mm-hmm. Just to get through my day, the list is enormous. Mm. and thankfully it's longer than the list of people that have pissed me off that day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, trust me. I, a fair people.
1: <laughs> but, you know, you know, the gratitude list quells mm. the anger. It quells yeah. the argument that you want to have, that, that you're replaying in your mm-hmm. head that you want to have with someone else. So, so those are two key words that, that you, you said that triggered me. Now, mm. we do have to talk about your yogic practice, yeah, you did yeah. mention it. I said we'd talk about it. So, apart from all of the positive psychology that you do, the gratitude mm-hmm. list, chatting, and meditating, you said that one of the ways yeah. you cope with your stress is because of yogic practices. Tell us, tell us yeah. that.
0: Yeah, I mean, everyone's got different ways of identifying what yoga is, but. Uh, to me, yoga is all about breathing. It's about union. That's essentially what yoga means. Um, so, to me, I do a lot of mantra work, and it's because I've been doing meditation for a long time. And you've seen me meditate outside the outside, um, you know, once. And yeah. uh, it, uh, I was actually having a rough day that day as well. And I'm like, I need to meditate. <laughs> so, um, essentially, yeah. with yoga, um, it's a, it's about identifying that uh, it sounds really um, full on, but it's just like, you know what, everything in life is okay, essentially. And that like, you know, it's okay to feel what you're feeling and understanding that, you know, you are present and I feel like we think too much in the past, we live too much in the future, and that we're not really uh, centered to where we are now. So my yoga practices are a lot, um, so I kind of do the Isha Kriya, which is kind of like a mantra that says, I'm not the body, I'm not my mind. And essentially what I do with that, it makes me feel that, you know, the way I'm feeling at the moment, it's, it's just a normal reaction from my body and my mind is just uh, something that isn't it me, it's just there. And I keep thinking in between these two future and past passes. And it's so funny. We think about the future, we get anxious. And if we think about the past, we get anxious. So um, I try to understand to be present in my current moment. And gratitude is a huge part of that. Um, You know, I write uh, every day three things I'm really grateful for. And the reason why I write three things is more specific. I think if you just say, you know, I'm grateful for... um, you know, like my mum and dad, I think that's, it's not really being specific in that area. I am very like, I'm grateful for waking up this morning in a peaceful manner, or I'm grateful to interact with my colleagues that I, um, who give me, you know, more information than they usually do or things like that. And that is a couple of my yoga practices and, you know, doing other stuff like the stretching and all that stuff is another big component to it. But, uh, the breathing techniques, um, that I've learned from my yoga practices, has helped me deal with a lot of things that have come in my life. And it's something I want to bring out there in the world, but that's a very slow process in the healthcare um, sector because, you know, uh, new age stuff can be kind of looked down upon, which I completely agree sometimes. Um, But it's all about um, making things, uh, what's the word, Um, uh, workable. And I feel like if if it's going to help you, why not try it?
1: That's a good catch line. If it's going to help you, why not try it? Miguel, mm. sadly we've run out of time, but I really want to thank ah. you for your pearls of wisdom today oh, on anytime. how to understand and recognize the response to trauma and stress within the world of paramedicine mm. and what you can do about it thereafter. Miguel Hawa, well, thank you so much.
0: No problem, Fable. Have a lovely day, mate.
1: That's it for today's Heads. thank you for joining us. My name is Dr. Fraggle Armstrong and we'll see you next time.